Good afternoon. It's Friday, August 27th, and this is Chickie Fitzgerald, the founder of the Executive Girlfriends Group, and my guest today is Giovanna Pang Garcia, and she is the author of a, a really intriguing book called Why Chinese Women Are Not Broke, and this book includes real-life stories and proven keys for success. Giovanna, welcome. Thanks for having me, Chickie. Oh, you're welcome. Well, why don't you give us just a little bit of your background and, uh, you know, tell us about uh, how you got to the place where uh, you wrote this book and, and uh, also tell us if this is your first book. Sure. So my name is Giovanna um, Pang Garcia. Pang is my maiden name. Garcia is my married name. Uh, I was born and raised in Hong Kong. And when I was growing up, I was a, always a little bit of a, uh, too much personality, should I say, for them. <laughs> so one day at school doing social study, they taught us about the Italian culture, and the teachers say Italian embraces expressiveness, and speaking of your hands were perfectly fine. And I remember being a little girl thinking, that's it. If I was Italian, I would fit right in. So I went home and looked up an Italian girl's name, and I wrote it up on a piece of paper. And when I was 16 years old, I convinced my dad to send me overseas to go to school, and um, I ended up coming to America. And when I landed here, I have no family, no friends, uh, hardly speak any English. But yeah. I remember when they asked me, what is your English name? And I said proudly, Giovanna. Because <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I thought this was just going to be a pit stop for me, America. I thought I was going to make my way to Italy where I belong and be with my people. And little that I know. You are my people. America is where I belong, and I fit in just fine, and I never moved to Italy. Um, there was a, 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 quite a bit of you know, learning curve, uh, being on my own at 16, uh, being an immigrant, uh, language barrier, all kinds of uh, challenges, which I think is really a blessing for me because I was blessed with all the challenges and also blessed with the tool and the right people put into my life to help me overcome those challenges and obstacles. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, long did it take you, early, how long did it take you to learn English? Um, you know, I never really timed it, but I, I remember um, going to school and I n- not understand anything at school and I would sit in the front row in the middle closer to the teacher and I would listen intently 100% and read lips on top of it and try to just to get whatever I can get to um, get any kind of comprehension. And then when I get home, uh, the television will be on and it will be playing Three's Company. And I know it's a funny show because of that lap track that's playing. But right. I didn't get the humor. I didn't understand. And um, over probably, if I have to guess, maybe about two years, um, I remember one time someone told me, when you dream in English, then you really master the language. When you, you know, when you're subconsciously thinking in English, you know, when you go to sleep and you dream in English. And I remember vividly, one morning I woke up and I was just so excited because my dream was in English. So... You know, over time, you know, anything is possible. Um, so in my mid-20s, I started a business with $300 in the middle of my living room. Uh, and what I did was a computer. So I would make cold call and make 100 phone calls a day uh, until two months later I landed a big enough of a network job. And that put me kind of into the, the space where I know, okay, this is really going to happen you know, after over 2,000 phone calls. Um, in the two weeks, and then two months later, I landed a big job, so my husband was able to quit his job and join me, and we became a two-man band. Um, long story short, um, 
I took that company role, uh, see the Y2K, so a lot of hardware, and then saw the uh, dot-com rise and fall. I made some adjustments from a hardware business to a a service-oriented business. Uh, Eventually, after 12 years of a great run, I was able to take that $300 investment to a multi-million-dollar corporation and sold it and gave retirement a try. Um, as you can tell, I'm a high-energy person, totally type A. So retirement right. was really not cut out for me. I, I did go to Europe. I had a blast. I had the best time of my life. Uh, came back, shopped like there's no tomorrow. I mean, it was fantastic. But I just felt like something was missing uh, in, my, in my soul. And then after looking what's been going on in America, uh, seeing the, the business crumbling all around, people were losing their jobs and people were losing their homes, and I thought that I could help by sharing my story. And that's kind of the seed, the very early seedling of the book. And then I started thinking, you know, I have a pretty good story. I, I, I live a pretty interesting life. And, you know, I have some wisdom. But, you know, there got to be other women that are more amazing than me. So I set off to seek out over 100 most successful Chinese-American women across the nation, everyone from uh, in the political arena like congresswoman, ambassador, uh, a, a retired police chief, uh, CEO and executive of some of the largest corporations, uh, Walmart, Coca-Cola, AT&T, you name it, professor, scientist, cancer survivor. So it's just been an amazing journey to get all their, all their stories and all their inspiration and then pinpoint down to actual application, you know, seven things that people can apply and improve right, their right. lives and get inspired along the way as well. And that's kind of what I'm about in a nutshell is to help people reach their full potential and basically live the American dream because this is still the best place in the universe. Right, right. You know, Giovanna, we, we talked yesterday about uh, the women that are members of the Executive Girlfriends Group, and, and I was sharing with you that by and large we've got uh, type A women extremely talented, uh, you know, some finding themselves in between successes just because of what's uh, going on in the economy and the downsizing mm-hmm. that has occurred uh, in some of the larger companies. But tell us a little bit about the work ethic of successful Chinese women and, and, and what is it about that that is different than you've observed in American-born women? I think the the key to these women, including myself, our success is is not just all about being Chinese. It's our ability to hang on to those Chinese core values and learn how to adapt the way of life of America, you know, what I call the water of America, the freedom, ingenuity, the creativity. Those are things that we really don't get a lot of from our upbringing. You know, it's almost like we were handcuffed. And then once we learn how to adapt that, the American way way of life, then combining the two is how we all reach success. And that's what I want all the listeners to remember. If you're not Chinese, it's perfectly fine because it's not all about being Chinese. It's about being, you know, Chinese and American, the best of two worlds. So if you're American, you already got half of it. So let's, you know, take on some of the Chinese core value. And if you're Chinese, you're Asian, then let's learn how to cross over and be more American and, and right, and you know, I listened to I listened to an interview that you did on TV, and but one of the things that you actually talked about of that work ethic and and the difference yeah. in the mentality of of the Asian yeah. women was that they they by and large came from backgrounds as farmers, and that the farmer 
mentality is that no matter whether it's rain or shine, you know, good economy, bad economy, um, you know, you get up and do the same things every day. Can can you help me uh, correlate that yeah. with how you approach business? Because clearly starting a business with $300 in, in your living room and then coming out, uh, you know, and selling that to a multi-million dollar company is, is uh, you know, a, a very important place to start in this journey of looking at these other women that you talk to. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, even though, you know, my, my parents were not farmer themselves, my, my great-grandparents were. And a lot of us Chinese women have that, that farming background in our ancestry. And I think Amer- a lot of Americans have that too. And what happens is being a farmer is, you know, the work ethic. But one more thing that's very important, and I think that it's really important for, for all the women to know, um, being a farming culture, and some of you might know about the Chinese uh, single-child policy. So. Right. I grow up hearing my grandmother telling me, you are so lucky to be alive because back home, you know, back in China, a lot of girls don't see, they don't see the light of day. They, they just disappear because the parents need boys to help farm and girls were considered least valuable. Uh, so I really felt like for me to stay alive, I have to be useful. I have to earn my place, so to speak. And I think that is almost like that extra fire in my belly that's, that's more than just work ethic, more than determination. It's almost like I, I have to earn, earn my life. Right. And that, that keeps me pushing forward no matter what. And, and that also gives me a sense of non-entitlement, if that makes sense. I don't feel yeah. that I entitle anything because I feel like I, I just, I, I, to this day, I still hear my grandmother's voice saying that you are lucky to be alive, you know, make it worthwhile, make it count. And so I don't feel I deserve anything. And when I overcome objective or over, when I face adversity, it's almost like I don't have the time to think of the why me. All I can think of is I got a chance to solve this so I can come out the other side because it's like right. survival. And, and, and that's what I would just almost embedded that kind of thinking right from the get-go, from a little girl. And I always were, were in, in the in entrepreneurial world. You know, I, my parents, my, mom, my dad had a business and my mom had her business. And my mom had a toy store. And I was working at the toy store since the age of seven. So to me, toy was not money. To, uh, I mean, toy was not toy. Toy was money. So I remember the, the day when the uh, early, early stage of video games, when they were vending machine video games, the Pac-Man. Right. When Pac-Man came to the market, I remember being devastated because we were at a, a retail location and we have a toy store and I worked there every day after school um, on weekends. Or, you know, anytime when I'm not at school, I'm there. And my best friend owns a candy store next door. And because the Pac-Man was a vending machine, the candy people has it. So my best friend has her business, her, her parents' business have this Pac-Man machine. And I remember being a little kid being devastated, seeing little children waiting in line with their money and putting money in that machine. And I'm sitting in my toy store thinking, oh, my gosh, my money is, you know, my, my, my money, my livelihood is going down the drain because they're going to the Pac-Man. And I was right. just talking to my dad a couple months ago. I visited him in New York, and, and I was telling my dad how I felt about that. And my dad said, oh, my God, I didn't know you were thinking like that. And just to show you, like, little kids are – you know, very intelligent, and I thought like a bona fide businesswoman even when I was 11 years old. 
Interesting. Well, tell us about uh, some of your favorite stories from the book. There the women so that you um, that you interviewed. Yeah, there are so many of them. Uh, unbelievable. Um, a couple of them get a chuckle out of me. Um, I think the first time when I spoke with the first Asian woman police chief, it's it's just something about it tickles me because you know I'm all about breaking boundaries. You know, doing things that people say you can't do, and and you know, proving that, you know, we can be more powerful and, and do things that no, no one has done before. And just to talk to her, you know, she's, she's a, a mild-mannered um, Asian woman. And not only she's a police, she is a police chief of one of the largest metropolitan cities. And just the thought of, you know, not only I can carry a gun, but if I want to, I can manage a city of them that carry guns. That's just right. unbelievable to me. And, and she was so humble and 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 polite, but not to mistake that as weakness. I mean, she is definitely a strong woman, so I, I, I think of her often. Um, another one that um, I think it's important for women who are in, in between jobs uh, to, to really know is, I would say, the CFO and the Senior Vice President of Walmart International. Um, you know, she comes from a corporate world. Before she landed in Walmart, she was a crop student and also a couple other high-profile job in between, and she talks about how um, she didn't have the what they were looking for, typical, the check boxes, the checklist to uh, to get the job that she ended up getting. Uh, when she was at Clapsuit, she was in the accounting uh, side of the business, and if she wants to get on the upper management, she would, at that time, she would need to be a male. She would need to have a pedigree from some of the finest school, Ivy League University, which she didn't have. She was an immigrant herself from the Philippines. So she have a degree, a good education, a great degree, but she does not have that pedigree. And so it was almost like people think you can never go higher than a certain level. And she uh, taught me something very valuable to share with everyone is you've got to work on your strength and amplify that and don't spend so much time dwell, dwell on your weaknesses because some of your weaknesses are almost impossible to change, like in her case not having an uh, Ivy League education. She can't change that. So what she did is she volunteered for a job that nobody else wanted, that nobody can, can do well on it. Two previous male managers were fired at this job, and she volunteered for it, and all her coworkers thought it was a career suicide. And she took on that job, and not only she survived, she basically tripled that department's funding and made so, such a good impression. That marks the beginning of her corporate ladder climbing. So I would mm. say to women that who are looking for jobs and, you know, try to find a way so that you don't need to be subject to the checklist. Because a lot right, of and we were, we were talking about this yesterday, about how the checklist yeah. now is, you know, it's electronic and, and it becomes very, very challenging to get past, you know, what's on that checklist and that, that piece of paper that whoever is doing the hiring has decided you know, are the prerequisites, and and uh, you know, I think yeah. it is very, very encouraging to hear stories of people who have found clever ways around that. Yeah, and that's something that's very important that we need to remember in, in today's time more than ever. Um, what are the so? I mean, there's so many that are so amazing. I mean, it all kind of depends on what I see during the day. Like the other day, I was talking to this woman, and she was telling me it's actually she's a neighbor of mine that lived a couple of developments down the hill, and she was saying how she has been a stay-at-home mom and now she's going back to the marketplace and she has all these fear and 
or they think that, that she was listing why she feels that she's not fit for the marketplace anymore. And after listening to her, and I said to her, you know, listening to you, I hear you're really good at naming out things that are negative about yourself. And she just kind of paused, and I said, you know, what is your biggest concern? She said, well, I felt like I'm not surrounded by the people that are in the up and up and have the, you know, the, the movers and shakers, so I feel that I don't have the edge. And that, when she said that, it just reminded me of a doctor that I interviewed, and she was actually born in prison, and her mom was in prison, wrongfully in prison during the Cultural Revolution in China. So she was born in prison, and then she was sent to live with her grandparents, so she hardly knew her mom or her dad. So talk about, you know, not having the upper advantage, you know, not having been, you know, surrounded by all the advantage you could have. I mean, she really had very little, and she went on becoming a very successful scientist, and then after being a scientist for seven years, decided that her passion is really in medicine, so she packed up everything and went to get a medical degree, and now she's a very successful doctor practicing here in San Diego where I live. So I shared yeah. that with her, and she was like, oh, wow, you know, I guess, you know, and, and I said, you know, it, it's like you look at when you, wh- whatever you put your attention to and what you look at, that's what you're going to get. And if you keep thinking, you know, I don't have this, I don't have that, well, then that's your reality. But if you look on the other side and look what you can, what you can do and what you are in power of doing and what is, you know, feasible for you and focus on that, focus on your, your strength, you can go far. Right, and that that's actually key number two of the, the seven keys that you talk about creating a, a mindset for success. Um, number one is actually harnessing your passion, and uh, yeah. that that one resonates with me because it's interesting. I've, I've got a lot of things that I can do in business, and I've actually got a number of different lines of business that I work on, you know, in, in any uh, particular day of the week, but I always yeah. keep coming back to the one that's my passion. So, you know, finding a way to harness that passion and actually monetize it is is the one that I'm hoping to get my arms around. Well, that that's a really good question because that happens a lot. And what I always tell people is, you want to make a list of your, what you're passionate about. And then I and my main thing in life is always focus what your strength is. You know, I'm I I manage to write a, a very good book, and I'm very proud of my work, but I'm never going to write Shakespeare, you know. It's just, that's, that's not my strength. So focus on your strength. If I would have wanted to be someone that write like Shakespeare, I would probably invest my entire whole life, and I probably will never be him. So I got, I got to be who I am. So what I tell people about passion is write down all your, all your stuff that you're passionate about, and then look at all the things that you're passionate about. What are you really good at? And then here's the next step you need to take is find your purpose in that passion. For example, a, a great example I give to young people is someone who aspired to be an actor or an actress, but they're not very good at acting. And I said, you know, yes, you can, you know, take more acting lessons, you can take more acting classes, and you can improve, and you can work on play and do all that. But let's look at it this way. Let's find your purpose in your passion within the acting industry. You know, if you're not really good at expression, you know, speaking without words just by acting, if that's not your gift, what are your gifts? Can you write? Can you be a writer? Can you be a producer? Can you be a lighting person? Can you be a marketer? Can you be a promoter? There's so many things, so many purposes you can have within your circle of your passion. And that's where you're going to capitalize. And that's where you're going to bring in the big bucks. So talk to me about key number three, work the right way. Work the right way. People always say, and, and I always 
take a double take whenever I hear people say, I work smart, especially a lot of times in today's, you know, and when I talk to young people who are programmers and graphic designers, and they say, oh, we don't work hard. We, you know, Giovanna, you're old school. We work, we work in today's, you know, we push a couple keys, work on the computer. We don't work hard. We work smart. And I always ask them, you know, I always take a double take when they say that. Do you work smart, meaning you're taking a shortcut? Because when you take a shortcut, the only thing you cut is, is your quality of your work and it's your end result. So I don't believe in shortcut, and what I believe in is working the right way. The right way meaning finding a way to do your work in a systematic way that is duplicatable and it maximize your energy and maximize your results, and that's working the right way. And sometimes working the right way might take a little longer than a shortcut, but when you can duplicate something over and over again, in the end, you will profit so much more. And in the book, I talk about a story of three little boys and I gave a good illustration of one little boy take a shortcut on doing real estate flyer, but he didn't find a way to secure the flyer, so they all end up flying down the street when the winds are blowing. The second little kid worked hard, but just hard, so he took extra time to go to every single doorstep and put a rock on top of the piece of paper, the flyer, to make sure it doesn't fly away. And that's good. He has good work ethic. He works hard, but he's very slow. And the third little boy decided he was going to take an extra 15 minutes with the stack of flight and put rubber bands on top corner of it. And then he took on a skateboard and he rode around the neighborhood and looped the rubber band on every single doorknob so the flyer don't fly away and he can duplicate it and he can do it fast. So he took extra three days, but at the end, he's almost as fast as the first kid who took first shortcut, but he's much faster than the second kid that just worked hard. And that's what I meant by working the right way. Interesting. So the next one is connect and communicate. Are you talking here about uh, you know the traditional kind of networking that that so many people talk about? That is a part of it. You know, when I say look for ways to get job and don't put yourself on the checklist on the checkboxes, networking is definitely one way to make sure that you put yourself in front of people so that you can meet the right people and meet the power to be and you don't fit into the boxes. So yes, networking is one of it. But what I'm talking about is really soft skill. You know, soft skill is something that you can replace. You know, you if you want to move along in life, you got to get along. So if you want to move up the ladder, you got to get along. And many executives I talked to, like State Farm, um, the VP I talked to, at, um, I interviewed it from State Farm Insurance, and she said that soft skill is one of the most important skills for people. When she looked around at her level, that people that are on that level they have excellent soft skills. You know, they can get things done. They can get people to, to understand her point without offending, make more friends along the way, and get people to, to believe and join in what her message and what her cause is. And all those are done because of soft skills. You can't, you know, you, if you're like a porcupine, you're not going to get very much love from anybody. And you right. need that in business as, long as, as well as your personal life. You've just got you know, to know how to connect and communicate. The next one is uh, actually understanding money. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious as, as to why you picked the title of, of the book because I, I suspect that there are a number of things that you could have chosen other than the financial topic of, you know, why Chinese women aren't broke and understanding money being one of the keys. What is it about that particular one that really stuck in your mind um, enough to have this be the topic of the book? Well, first of all, the, when I wrote the title of the book, Why Chinese Women Are Not Broke, it 
definitely does encumber finance, um, but it's more than just financially not broke. You know, I'm talking about people that are successful, achieving uh, a balanced, happy human being. So it's it's a, not a broken person. And finance is one of it because, let's face it, you can't do any good in the world if you have no money. You know, Benjamin Franklin said it best, I think. He said, if you want to help the poor, you cannot be one of them. <laughs> so, you know, even if you were, if you were running a church and you want to help the homeless, you need money. So no matter what it is. So when I talk about money, I'm not saying, you know, be as cunning as, as you can be and, and, you know, step on people and, and do what you need to get what you want. I mean, it's not about that. However, I'm also saying you can't just be holding hand all day and saying kumbaya. Right. You know, we got to understand how to, how to use money. And women in particular, you know, and sometimes I run into some women who I found very interesting that um, it's in a, a lot of time it might have to do with their upbringing, that they feel uncomfortable talking about money. You know, it's like we get uh, when girlfriends get together, we talk about family, we, talk, we wouldn't talk about our husband, you know, we talk about fashion, we talk about sex, we could talk about all kinds of things. But a lot of us are not comfortable to talk to other women about money. You know, what kind of investment do you have? Are you happy with it? How is it working for you? I just got a raise, you know, what do you think I should do with this extra additional income? You know, we, as a norm, I don't see too much of that, of them talking about money. And we really need to, you know, I would say go out and look around at your circle and see who do you know that are good with their money? Who do you know that are doing something with their money and investing and taking some calculated risk and, and making a conscious effort to make that grow? Because money is like water. If you don't make it grow, it evaporates. So we don't want a river running through. We want a reservoir, and we also want to use the water that we have and make it grow. Absolutely. I am all for that one. Ha- having a tried to do a lot of things without a lot of money over the last couple of years. Um, that's probably the one that sticks out the most for me. So the next one is live with integrity. Mm-hmm. Integrity is one of the most important value to a person. I, I call integrity as mother of all value. If you cannot look in the mirror at the end of the day and feel proud of the person that you are, and feel that you live a life of integrity, I mean, that's really, all the money in the world doesn't do any good. You have to have integrity, you know, someone that people can count on, people know that you are what you're about, and they feel that they can trust you, you feel that you can trust yourself. You know, to be able to live a life of integrity, that is priceless. And you can't, you know, I, always in- say, I always say, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, I was just going to ask in in the Asian culture as you're growing up, how do you how do you feel that that parents uh, are instilling that in their children? Um, I I'll just give you a little insight. Uh, I have a ten year old son, and uh, he has uh, because he was raised in Russia, and we adopted him when he was three. He missed a lot of those early days um, where a lot of those values, even though you're not talking and communicating so much with your family in those first two years of life, it's amazing how much you absorb. And so we have a a vast difference between the level of integrity that our 12-year-old daughter, who's our natural child, you know, been with us since birth, 
um, you know, that is just a part of her. And and a part of that is, is missing in him because he wasn't around it. And so now I'm trying at age 10 to, to tell him that, you know, he needs to be able to look himself in the mirror every day, right into his eyes. And my daughter will say, well, if I don't tell on him, if I don't tell you what he's doing that's bad, how will you ever know? And I said, well, it, you know, it really doesn't matter because he'll look at himself in the mirror and, and he'll know. And and that's really where it has to start. So I'm I'm just curious as to in the Chinese culture and, and just the Asian cultures in general, how children are taught those fundamental lessons. As a as a child I work at the toy store, so I witnessed that not only in my own home but in a lot of passing by, like a lot of customers coming in which most of my children with their parents. And First of all, if we talk about dollar value, you know, I think one of the things that I think is very important when we bring up the topic about children is we need to really put a stop on that entitlement that some of the young young folks have today, that they're entitled to certain things. And we need to have them understand they need to earn it. And when I was growing up, kids would come to the store and they would see a toy and they would want the toy and they would look to their parents and the parents would just relax casually say, do you have the money? And the child will pull out their, their pocket change, and, and all of us were set in ways to earn allowance. You know, some family, if you get an A, you get a dollar. Some family say if you do dishes, you get. But there was way, there's a system put in place that we can learn to earn. And when you learn to earn your own money, you, you understand a sense of pride, sense of ownership, and a sense of self-worth. Self-worth, what you're worth and what you're producing, and take pride into your work. And we, we were all taught that. And then when we, when we want something in the store, our parents say, do you have the money to buy it? And sometimes... Sometimes when, as we get older, you know, I, I interviewed a judge from Houston, and she told me that when she was uh, 18, 16, 18, she needed to buy her first car, and her, her father was definitely well-to-do, and they could just write a check. But her dad said, no, you need to get a summer job to earn the money to buy the car. And she said she hated him for that at the time because she looks around. She's like, why would I need to earn money, earn money to buy a car and when you can just write a check, and her dad looked at her deep in the eyes and said, honey, you will understand when you are older, you will feel so good about that car that you earn and you buy that no other thing can, can replace that feeling. And she didn't really understand it, but she did it. And to this day, she said, I'm really thankful that my father made me work to buy my car. Now, granted, he might have matched her dollar per dollar, but the point is he made her earn it. And she said, that was some a lesson that really set her to the path to become the person, the woman that she is today, become a, a high level judge in Houston. Hmm. So I would say for an adopted child, you know, I didn't adopt a child on uh, myself, so I cannot speak out of experience at this point yet. It is one of my dreams to adopt a child uh, one day, um, perhaps you know, from a foreign country who I feel that I could give them uh, a better chance of a, a greater life. Um, but I would say. You show them by example, and I'm sure you're doing that. You know, you just you just show them. You know, uh, I have a young kid now. I have a son who is uh, two and a half. And this year, Christmas, we're going to start adopting a, fa- a family for Christmas. And as you get older, I have plans of it. You know, maybe going to um, homeless shelter to do Thanksgiving. You know, you know, just little things that he knows. And there's this piggy bank that the Chinese people have. I believe it's called Moon Jaw, uh, like the mm-hmm. moon. And it's a three-part piggy bank. And one is for money to save for you, and one is for money to save for fun, and one is money to save to give away. 
So I already get one of those for my kid so that, you know, when he starts earning money, we can, you know, have, teach him to divide three part. One is to save for future things like perhaps college, and one is to save to have fun because it's important for them to know to have fun, and one is to save to help others. And I think, you know, it sets the tone as who who they're going to be, and I have this whole plan of my my kid, when he's seven, we're going to get a gumball machine business for him, and he's going to go fill the gumball with me, and then we're going to have more gumball machines, so he knows what it's like. Maybe just one day a week we're going to go fill all these gumball machines and clean them up just so he knows what it means to to work. Because right. you're giving them a gift that that is bigger than any money can buy. All right. So the last one in in the keys to success is always keep growing. Yes, that is a key. I think that is, I always hear on the news like anti-aging, you know, stay young. And another woman I interviewed it agrees with me that anti-aging, aging is really about the spirit of your soul. And if you can keep young at heart, you stay young forever. And part of the thing of doing, of doing that, achieving that, staying young at heart is learning. Um, I interviewed an ambassador uh, who is a former ambassador for Manelli. And she said that when she was, I think she said at 80 years old, she decided she was going to move to China. She's Chinese, but she was born here, so she didn't really speak the language and didn't know as much as she would like to know about her heritage. And she decided at 80 years old that she was going to do that. And she said, you know, people thought I was crazy, but I feel so good about what I do, and now I do this foundation that is sustainable, and it's going to be there forever to help people and do good in this world. And she said, I would never have seen this if I felt content. And so I think it's important for us to always continue to grow and, and learn because life is just unbelievable. There's so much in the world that we we can learn. And I have this whole list of, you know, when, I, when I'm older, you know, when I'm done with my professional life, I want to learn how to play the piano. I want to learn how to Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think the, the really interesting thing that I've observed about this time when uh, people have been in between jobs and have not been able to find work, and, you know, I, I include myself in that even though I'm a consultant, uh, but I have really had a lot of time. And, you know, you think about that long, long list of things that you, you know, say that you want to do when you have the time. And, you know, now I could kick myself because, I, you know, I could have gotten so many of those things done. So, well, uh, one, of the, one of the tips that uh, I, I want to share with the listener is actually one I got from uh, one of the first Asian women to be state attorney in America, and she actually just got appointed as the police commissioner in Los Angeles. And she has a this really great way that I think helps her keep learning. And what she does is every year she wrote a list of things she wants to improve on. And she said it could be simple things like learn to cook better, learn to communicate with my kids better. This could be simple thing. It does not have to be financial goal, but sometimes some years it is, and sometimes it's career goal. But she writes down what it is. And then she carries that piece of paper in her, in her pocket all the time, she says. And then she goes to the doctor's office, and there's an idle time of, you know, 10 minutes waiting because the doctor is always late. And she says, she'll pull up the list and look at it and kind of check, kind of self-check her and say, yeah, hey, you know, have I, have I really make an effort to connect with my daughter more? And if not, what, have I, what could I do today? 
So it's it's a system that she really lived by, and she is one of one of the very very phenomenal women. I had the blessing of meeting, and she achieved so much in her life and makes such impact in so many people. And she said that's how she does it. It's that bliss that she keeps with her. You know that's such a great idea, and I I think about you know how when I'm just sitting. Yesterday I, I had to go to the doctor um, at the end of the day, and and of course the first thing I do is pull out my my iPhone and start reading my email. But you know it would be great to have that discipline to go to that list instead <laughs> of the things that will really make your quality of life different. Um, well, Giovanna, it has been really terrific having you on today, and I appreciate you taking the time and sharing a little bit. Again, the name of Giovanna's book is Why Chinese Women Are Not Broke, Real Life Stories and Proven Keys for Success. Um, it will be highlighted on the Executive Girlfriends Group bookstore, and uh, there's a, an icon on the home page of the site where you can click through and uh starting tomorrow morning we will have the audio uh available to our members and so Giovanna I'll send you a, a link to that so if you'd like to share that with anyone uh you can do that. Sure, that would be great. And also uh my website is why Chinese women are not broke and on there there's a, a fun little quiz that I created that's called uh find out your happiness level and your success number and it's a fun little questionnaire that you fill the the questions and the answers and then it tells you what your success number is and what your happiness level is and that's always a fun little game to play with yourself and see where you are. Terrific. Well if um if you can uh actually put a link to that, uh if you I, I think I sent you the login to the Executive Girlfriends Group private site. And if okay. if you can update that there uh, on your profile, that would be really great. Then people will have immediate access. And also you can put your contact information if anyone would like to contact you about speaking or uh, have any more questions for you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been a blast. And if there's any questions, I'm here. If not, I can excuse myself, whatever you like. All right, terrific. Thank you so much, Giovanna. Okay. Okay, terrific. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, you know, I am not sure if we're going to get that whole recording because I just, uh, in the middle of the call, had to close out of my, my platform. So hopefully we will have, have the bulk of it. Um, anyway, uh, we've got such a small group on today. I think, uh, Carolyn, can you take yourself off mute? There we go. There we go. How are, how are you doing? I have, feel like we haven't talked for a while. Good, good. It's been crazy. I've been, uh, traveling nonstop. So it's been a crazy couple of weeks, but I was here this week in South Florida, thank God because we had some meetings here. So um, anyway, I uh, I miss my Friday calls when I'm not on them. I think Definitely. I was supposed to be on last week for, for part of it, and then I had to, um, was on for the beginning, and then I had to hang up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it, you know, it's been crazy. I mean, it's been um, just nonstop with the travel. Are you so, going to be traveling as much this fall? 
I am. Um, this week and next week, I'm home in South Florida, but the following week, I go to the West Coast, and then right from there to uh, Chicago or wherever, and then I think right from there to AFTA, and then to another industry conference, and then like home the 20th. So I'll be gone for like two weeks straight. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm actually traveling quite a bit in September, which is unusual because I haven't traveled for so long. But uh, yeah. looking forward to it now that business is picking back up. Good. So do let me know if you're going to be in Washington, D.C. at all, because I'm going to be up there a lot. <laughs> oh, good. That's good to know. That's good to know. Yeah. There's, and Mark, I'm sorry. Go ahead. There is a uh, – suppo- we're, we're a sponsor for Tourism Cares, and they're doing a, a cleanup event on September 10th, I think. In uh-huh. D.C. Um, on on the Washington Mall or something. So I don't know if I'm going to make it over there for that, but I'm certainly going to try. Well, if you are, let me know because I do believe I'm there that week. So yeah, that, for sure. Be the kickoff of our new project. Good. Yeah, yeah. Finally, finally work uh, after um, a, a very, very, very long dry spell. So. Glad well, good. Glad back in it, yeah. Marge, any news for you on the job front? Marge, are we on mute? You are on mute. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> now you're not. No, I thought I did take you off, but I anyway. Um, a little. There's some activity, but um, you know, there's always activity and. Um, uh, I actually had uh, a telephone interview this week, and I, I got invited to the next level, which is on Monday. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm at the stage where I'm afraid to talk about things because I don't want to jinx anything. So <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I'm not sure. going to say a whole lot. <laughs> but well, um, good. Yeah. Well, we'll just keep you in our prayers and Thanks. hope <laughs> that it all comes through. Because I know uh-huh. know you're ready to work, and I you know. So- I am so ready. You know, it's like you're at the starting, you know, uh, waiting for the gun gun to go off, and I keep having a false start. You know, you kind of right. step over the light line before the gun goes off. But that's that's kind of how I feel. But you know, throughout this whole process, I I I, I stay up to date on on things that are going on and network and do a lot of different things. So I really feel like I've been working. You know, really working. So right. Anyway. Um, but, you know, other than that, uh, nice weather here in New York this week and this weekend, not doing too much, but they're going to just, you know, relax a bit. Well, Florida has not been nice. It has been raining uh, all week. I mean, we've had to drain our pool a couple of times, so, oh. and it's still really, really gloomy out. It was a gorgeous morning this morning. In fact, I was hoping Michelle would be on today. Uh, because I'm just about ready to start our morning walks again. Oh, again, yeah. um, you know, my daughter uh, leaves for the bus at uh, about eight ten. So, and this morning it was nice and cool, but then the rest of the day it just got gloomy, gloomy, gloomy. Wow. Are you getting any, any hurricane? I'm sorry, yeah. No. You know, although I I think that hurricane that that's coming up is actually going up the Atlantic. Yeah. Uh, Carolyn, are you guys getting any residual rain from it yet? 
No, no rain from that. We did have some rain this week, but um, we also, like today's been beautiful all day, sunny and just just hot. It's 95 right now, but it, it's beautiful here. Um, and, you know, just intermittent beautifulness this week with some rain here and there. Um, but we're watching, who is it, Earl is the next yeah. one coming up? Exactly. Yeah. I'm just looking at that on on the NOAA site. So uh looks like you guys are going to get rain maybe Tuesday or Wednesday of next week because it's not hitting. Um, I can't even see what island this is. Um, oh, Puerto Rico will get hit on Monday afternoon, it looks like. Oh, boy. Okay. Great. But it's... Still looks like it's just a tropical depression. Tropical oh boy! Storm. It it will hit hurricane status when it hits Puerto Rico. Oh boy! So that's the first one of the season, actually. I mean, not, uh, there have been other ones, but it's the first one that looks like it will hit. Uh, yeah, Florida. yeah. They're, they're watch. I think they're watching a couple. It seems to be a couple out there. Yeah, Danielle is the one that that's is. That's the one, the Danielle. Yeah. Yeah, but she looks like she's already curved back uh, okay. away from the, the coast. Mm. So that's a good thing. Yeah, let's just uh, hope that they all go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, right. definitely. definitely. Out to sea. <laughs> just out to sea and stay there. <laughs> well, we've had, a, like I said, the long first week of school and the kids getting, uh, you know, just getting all the paperwork filled out and every every day they seem to come home and need need a check for something else. So, uh we're going to enjoy a quiet weekend uh without a lot of plans. Uh Marge, do you have anything going on this weekend? Uh no, it's going to be a little little quiet. I'm I'm hoping just to get out and enjoy the weather. Um I actually went to the beach today. On on Fridays I I I have like summer Fridays where I take a little time for myself and, and <laughs> Well, I, you I, should <laughs> because soon, soon enough you'll be back working uh I, I hope 50 so. and 60 hour a week probably. Oh gosh. So but yeah, it was a beach and um I don't really have any great plans just uh, you know, my daughter has a new boyfriend, so she's going to be spending it with him. So I get to spend a lot of time with her when she's in between boyfriends, you know. <laughs> but uh, she's got a new boyfriend, so she's going to spend time with him. Well, good. Well, I'm hoping I got that recording. It, I, I uh, for some reason, had to go out of the website and come oh. back in. And when I went to turn the recording off, it was already off. So that's not not a good sign. But. Um, Anyway, well, I appreciate you guys being on the call, and we'll just cut it short since it's such a small group today. And I hope you guys have a great weekend. And you too, and you too, Carolyn. All right, you too. Enjoy. All right, guys, take care. Okay. All right, thanks. All right, bye. Bye. Bye.